This is the one with a chicken brain biological disaster with a monobrow. A glow-in-the-dark brain with comedy honking horns for eyes. A Time Lord mental tug-of-war. And the sisterhood of Khan! It's called the Brain of Morbius. Here we go! We're embarking on a voyage all through time and all through space. Counting Daleks, Dalen, Ood, and the Cybertronic race. Sontarans look like taters, and Silurians all have wonky scales. And the Doctor has a TARDIS, we're reviewing all his tales. Who back when? Reviewing all of who there is. Who back when? Subscribe and rate on iTunes, please. Episode by episode, we're trudging down this temporal. Come join us on this odyssey. What other choice could there be than who back when? Who back when? What ho, podcast land, and welcome to episode. C084 of Who Back When, a Doctor Who podcast. Or Doc Past. Correct Mundo, amigo. That voice belongs to none other than Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello. Who are you? Well, my voice belongs to me. I oh. am Leon. Hello. What is your voice? Well done. Oh. <laughs> you found it again. <laughs> and we are talking about the brain of Morbius. In fact, wait. The brain of Morbius. <laughs> <laughs> Someone found a button. (laughs) (laughs) Legendary episode. Is it legendary? It is quite legendary. You remembered it from your childhood, I believe. I did, yes. I didn't remember much about it, though. Yeah. I remembered the monster towards the end. I remembered Morbius's brain being transplanted into it. And dropped on the floor in the process. (laughs) Hey, five second rule. But I didn't remember anything else. I had completely forgotten about the Sisterhood of Khan, for example. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Did you like it? High level? I think I did. Okay. Some problems, but I enjoyed watching it. I, I guess we'll get into that in a little bit. Should we go through a bicep chunk of who? Just to... Yeah, get one else on board. Let's do that. Time for us to synopsize, lovify and summarize. So take a view and grab a brief and listen to this overview. This free for all we like to call a bicep chunk of who. An insect-like humanoid is crawling across the planet Khan and doesn't seem to be in a good way. Things take a definite turn for the worse when a man with a hook for a hand catches up with the poor creature and cuts its head off. Why would he do such a thing? To bring it to his Frankenstein impersonating master, Dr. Solon, of course, who is hell-bent on reanimating the evil despot Time Lord, Morbius. He just needs to get his hands on an empty cranium to complete the pick-and-mix monster he's been creating to house the Time Lord's disembodied essence. The TARDIS team appears on Khan shortly afterwards, even though they were meant to be taking Sarah Jane back to London. Again. The Doctor is convinced the Time Lords have brought them off course, but perhaps the Sisterhood of Khan has something to do with that. Whatever is going on, the Doctor and Sarah Jane better keep their wits about them if they're going to get off the planet and not lose their heads in the process. Miskal over, you are welcome. Aren't you just? That sounds pretty great. I would watch that serial. (laughs) (laughs) And you did. I did, yeah. But I bet they didn't put that on the back of the DVD box. We've had a... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to quickly ask you what you thought. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I, I mean, I liked... Sorry, I liked parts of it. We've had a few serials now where I've said, oh, wow, this is sort of a hammer horror, and I really enjoy that. Yeah. I don't know if this one was more or less hammer horror. Like, the Daemons feels like it was a fantastic horror one. This one's got all of that, but it's only the lumbering monster element of it. Well, there's a lot of Frankenstein and Igor. Oh, oh yeah, sorry. To clarify, this is Totes Malod's either act one of Rocky Horror Show or (laughs) (laughs) a slightly like slimmed down bastardized version of Frankenstein. And it's not like they're embarrassed to make it one. No. It's a total Frankenstein pastiche. You've got Frankenstein, you've got Igor, 
they're chasing the monster away with fiery torches. Yes, that's true. Might as well be swinging pitchforks. There's a lot of lightning. I don't think they actually used it to power stuff, but there's a lot of lightning. A lot of lightning, yeah. He's in a castle atop a mountain-ish. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Mean, I think they must have known what they were doing here. Oh, this yeah. is this is not a... Oh, wait. There's a thing called Franken. Frank- Frankenstein. Steiner? <laughs> I make it a point never to read authors whose name are, names is Frank. Oh, no, sorry, that was terrible. That fell flat. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, because I don't actually know Frankenstein that well. Like, it's it's impossible not to know Frankenstein, but I don't think I've seen an actual film of it from start to finish. And oh, have I've, you not seen? And the, I've never read the book. The Robert De Niro version of Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. No, I, I mean to. It's really good. Yeah, it's very very good. So weirdly, Frankenstein came up in conversation last night because we were we were at a pub quiz. And there was a, it, which book is this quote from? And I was like, oh, that's totally Dracula. I am 100% sure it's Dracula. <laughs> it turns out it was from Frankenstein. Oh, dope. Yeah. Um, but I read those two around about the same time. They lend themselves very well to like a back-to-back, oh, cool, monster books kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is Frankenstein without the depth. Yes. <laughs> this, is, this is the checklist of cliches. Yes. It's not exploring too deeply on just because you can doesn't mean you should. <laughs> but then there are other things that are not part of the Frankenstein law that they've brought in that have tremendous depth and where the writing is occasionally brilliant. I'm thinking mainly of when Tom Baker's doctor interacts with the sisterhood. Do go on. I'm intrigued what you mean exactly. Okay, so for example, his whole soliloquy about there's no development without... Oh, um, like death, death is... I, I made a note of the quote... Death is the price we pay for progress. Yes. That whole shtick of his, that whole soliloquy is fantastic and exhibits a philosophical and psychological profundity that the rest of this serial does not. No. (laughs) Yes, I think think in general, actually, I really liked the Doctor in this one. Oh, he's great, right? That that in particular was a good moment. I think think he plays a lot of this the way I like, particularly this era Doctor Who to be where it's he kind of knows what's going on all the time still fucks up and gets captured yeah which is a little bit annoying but kind of par for the course and he also has a tremendous sense of humor yes but he's having fun with a lot of things as well yeah i think i think that in my mind of what i understand people to know about tom baker's doctor that this is more sort of it this is this is him um so i I think that's maybe why i enjoyed it more than i probably should have done okay (laughs) because i think he was pretty good I don't think this necessarily is an unenjoyable serial. I think this is like a tremendously enjoyable serial, with the exception of the plot kind of waning towards the end. Tom Baker is on top form. All these little one-liners, like, could you spare a glass of water while they're standing out in the rain? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Also, when he's talking to the sisterhood and, and she goes, the, the leader, the matron, I can't remember what her name is now. Marin, I think. Marin, yes, you're right. And she's like, oh, well, uh, I need only lift a finger and you're dead. And she starts lifting a finger. He's like, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> keep it down, keep it down. So the sisterhood. Yeah. I haven't looked them up, actually. I mean, meant should should look them up, but you might be able to tell me. Go for it. I've come across these in New Who, in Fires mm-hmm. of Pompeii. Yes. Oh, no. No? Not Fires of Pompeii. That's a different sisterhood. Oh, is it? 
That's like a... Oh, yeah, that's... No, yeah, exactly. That's not Sisterhood of Khan. That's uh, some other prophetic whatever. They are very similar. They're very similar. But those are humans. Those are just like human... Yeah, a human sisterhood. Whereas these are... I also didn't really understand or at least misremembered the background of them. I assumed that they were just time ladies. Right. That they were Gallifreyan. But it seems to me, based on this serial, that they are not. No. That they just have some sort of alliance with them. But regardless, they are from a planet, Khan. They're from this planet. Yeah. And um, don't really understand how their biology works. Like, they are a sisterhood, which implies... um, I mean, if they call themselves the sisterhood, then that implies that they identify as women, right? Yes. Where are the men? Well, because they've thrown an elixir into this mix. So they live forever. I sort of wondered if you get invited into the sisterhood, so that there could be a race, a separate from them and they're just like this that's also possible yeah that's possible i mean i'm sorry i didn't mean to be super cisgender normative but you know like if they're calling themselves the sisterhood that implies that linguistically they also have the word brotherhood that's what i'm trying to say yeah well and also this is 1976 i think also true yeah so So. do you think it's is it possible that they are in fact Gallifreyans who have just joined the sisterhood on a different planet are they like an order of Gallifreyan women i don't know really because I've never been quite sure on the interchangeable Time Lord slash Gallifreyan phrasing. I think in you who is explored a little bit more that there are Gallifreyans and then Time Lords are kind of... Oh, wait, are they not the same? Well, I, I thought the Gallifreyans were known as the Time Lords, like a race of Time Lords. I'm not sure if, if they do make some throwaway things that make it sound like you can grow up as a child on Gallifrey yeah. and not be a Time Lord. Interesting, okay. I don't know. So, But if that's the case... Which it sounds like we've not had any of that possibly even hinted at in the classics so far. They could be Gallifreyans, but not Time Lords. And that's why they would have a different designation, I suppose. Right. Because okay. otherwise, because they refer, what, what I was kind of thinking is they refer to the Time Lords throughout this serial as others. So that I, I don't think you would call them oh, I see Time what you're Lords saying. themselves. I don't know. Unless they're rejecting it all. But then I think they would have probably been nicer to the Doctor if they had kind of rejected Time Lord society to make up their own society. Yeah, there seems to be sort of a um, a schism between the two in this one, where they're going like, oh, the only reason that there's peace between the Time Lords and us is because they depend upon us for eternal life, which then also, I mean, I'm not sure they make it clear in this one, but like, does that mean that Time Lord physio... Wait, hang on, wait, wait, these are completely separate topics. I'm sorry, I'm not trying to blend into another one. But I'm thinking the regeneration aspect, you know? Well, I think this is something that bothered me with this serial a bit, is that they've got some really grand things in the Doctor Who universe that they're possibly breaking open here. Yeah. By bringing in this elixir, I think what you're getting at is, certainly at the start of this, I was sort of thinking what it sounds like you were thinking, is like, oh my god, does this elixir grant the Time Lord's regeneration? Well, so, or have something to do with their longevity, at least. So just a moment ago, I pulled up the Sisterhood of Khan on Todd's wiki, and the the reason for that being that I couldn't remember which one, <laughs> which one of the something of the Doctor they appeared in. Uh, hang on, I'm gonna I'm gonna grab the list. Knight of the Doctor, that's the one. The Paul McGann, the 12 minute Paul McGann prequel to the 50th anniversary. We're coming up to that like very very soon. Oh, right. do you remember this one? Yeah, yeah. That's the Sisterhood of Khan. Paul McGann needs to regenerate in a particular direction, and they give him. I'm. I, I feel like they're giving him this, this elixir, elixir, effectively. Yeah, okay. 
but they've done some extra, like they've added some, you know, some botanicals in order to go like, oh, if you want to be a doctor, then do this one. If you want to be a warrior, do this one. If you want to be something else. And he's like, oh, no, warrior, please. Yeah. Okay. So that's what we've seen the Sister of Khan before. But hang on, I'll put up, pull up the whole list. So this is the first time, Brain and Morbius, then Knight of the Doctor. And then we don't see him again uh, or see them again until the Magician's Apprentice, Capaldi, and Hellbent, Capaldi. Which I don't recognize either of those from the title alone, but... Magician's Apprentice, I remember, is the one where he plays the electric guitar on a tank in medieval times. Oh, okay. And Hellbent, I honestly can't remember. See, I think... I didn't know if they were the ones that were in Fires of Pompeii to start with. I wrote it down as a question in my notes. Okay. And then the Doctor name-checks Pompeii. Oh, yeah, he does. And I was like, oh, it must be them. (laughs) Oh, what a... That's a freaky coincidence. Yeah. Do you think whoever wrote Fires of Pompeii decided to merge these two things i don't know because they are so similar they are but the the ones on pompeii they're just humans and they worship like the fire gods or something yeah and that they're also a sisterhood the sublime ah oh yeah oh well whatever i didn't i didn't research this ahead of time so we can't delve into it too much <laughs> but let's just say someone in new who land was lifting heavily yeah i think so too <laughs> Right, so I, I had to remind myself of the title of this, but we have, in fact, on Who Back When, recorded an audiobook review. In fact, it's a double feature called Sisters of the Flame and Vengeance of Morbius, Ooh, which is a sequel to this one, uh, in which, goodness knows, I don't remember, but somehow Morbius Brain <laughs> survives yet again. <laughs> that horrific tumble, not off a cliff. Off a mountain. Off a mountain. <laughs> Although, actually, seeing the the stunt double fall off, you would say it was probably about three foot onto a crash mat, and, yeah. the, and then three, <laughs> and then three like, foot off again. Flail atop this green screen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I love that. By the way, I love that effect. Okay, shall we jump into the plot of this? Okay, if, if you're feeling brave enough. <laughs> There's a lot going on in this, actually. There is. Okay. How about we how about we start with Frankenstein? Yeah. So, uh, what's his name? Merendi? Mi- oh, damn it. Solon. Yeah, Solon. Yeah, exactly. Wait, hang on. Before we go into that, you <laughs> picked up on a magnificent either coinkidink or potential trivia point before we press record. Yeah, so we were chatting just before we started on whether the alien creature we see right at the start, the insect creature, yeah, is a mutt. And um, which it totes my lot, which it totally is. Leon totally pegged it, and I had to double check. But yes, so from the serial The Mutants, which I don't know of, but which is great, by the way. Is this poetry? Oh, shit, wait. Yes, it yes, is. Yes, it is, isn't it? Yeah. Do you have so it? yeah, poetry and Joe. Kate, oh, bingo, Kitty Merling. And we yeah. So this is the mutt, which is a mutant Solian, Solonian, Solonian, and here we the have planet Solus, and <laughs> here we have Solon. We have Solon here. Yeah, potentially a, a reference. I looked up so long because I figured, okay, wait, hang on. Does this, what does it mean? It turns out there was a, I, I apologize. For me, it turns out I had no idea. So there was a, um, an Athenian statesman named Solon, whose name has now brought meaning to the word Solon, which, which means a very influential statesman, influential in terms of politics. Something to that effect. I'm paraphrasing. Oh, really? I guess he's meddling in Gallifreyan politics to a certain degree. Maybe that's what they're trying yeah. to say. But I love the connection of Solon, Solodian, and it's just right off the bat, Brundlefly. <laughs> you know, my note was Brundlefly and Lightning, very, very frightening. 
Um, when I jumped in with his name of, of Solon, were you trying to say his full name? Because I yeah, hang on, wait, I wrote it down as well. Mahendri, Mahendri Solon. Yeah, mm. which I, I didn't actually make a note of. I think he only says his first name once, does he? Or I don't know. Yeah, I think he says I didn't it. Catch it's anyway. just in the beginning. But okay, yeah. So his story. He is an Earth doctor. He is human. I believe so. Yeah. I mean, he wrote books on Earth. Yeah. Which the Doctor read. Yeah. And then somehow left the Earth and made it all the way to Khan. Yeah, just because he fancied some solitude. Yeah, exactly. Goes all the way there. In the meantime, he has also somehow gained the attention of a Time Lord despot. Why he would care about some Earth doctor, Earth surgeon. It's a bit strange. I didn't get how this all worked out, to be honest. Like, in my head, I can kind of retrofit, which I don't remember ever being said, but I can kind of retrofit that Morbius, in whatever form he is meant to be in, which actually does, it is physical, though, because he is a brain. Yeah. He's not this floating essence. But I could, I could kind of imagine somehow there is a situation where Morbius's influence is causing Solon to go, I need to go to the planet Khan. But how would and, he even know, know about it? I mean, the Time Lords are... A fairly secretive race. Yeah, I don't. And this is so far into the future that humans have access to, have ready access to space travel, apparently. Yeah. And this one doctor goes to Khan, which is in itself a super secretive planet. Mega top secrets, potentially Gallifreyan, we're not entirely sure, planets with a kind of hostile religious, uh, like, cult. Yeah. And he's just allowed to set up shop in a castle that was already there and build a lab? Yeah. And he brought his Igor with him? No, I think Kondo crashed. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you're right. Kondo crashed. um, Because it's implied the sisterhood are crashing ships onto the planet? Yeah, they're absolutely doing that. So they're they're sirens as well. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) So already at this point, the background to this serial breaks apart. It makes no sense. It would make more sense if Solon were a Gallifreyan doctor, a Gallifreyan surgeon. Yeah. Because also, they killed Morbius and then scattered his atoms, and there were witnesses to this, yet somehow, Solon makes away with a perfectly intact brain. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And possibly some bits of tissue. There's a bit where Morbius is speaking, and there's some, like, stretched out sinewy things that are vibrating. Oh, were they not just speakers? You think they were his They look more like Cassandra in oh, New I see. Who. Like that kind of stretched skin where oh, I see. the edges are all kind of breaking. In. Oh, I don't know. I, I don't think that's what this was, but I like the idea. I don't know. It was a very weird speaker. Wait, if it was just well, he said, like, add some tissues. I was thinking, well, like, cummy paper. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not just... It's not. You know, for DNA. <laughs> <laughs> Morbius at this point has probably spent quite a lot of years in a cell somewhere. He must be surrounded by gummy paper. Anyway, all right. Okay, so we picked apart Frankenstein. Don't understand that at all. Well, the other thing that is part of that is I don't really understand the sisterhood. So if if Solon wasn't there, yeah, the impression we've got so far is this a one this is a one village planet. Oh yeah, as a lot of planets are in sci-fi land. Yeah. So what the hell would they be doing? Like, they're waiting for every hundred years, a Time Lord turns up and says, can we borrow a bit of your elixir? This guy didn't regenerate properly. I guess so, yeah. And otherwise, they're just shouting sacred fire, sacred flame 50 million times a day. (laughs) (laughs) Like, if 
I mean, you got to admire their devotion. Well, <laughs> I guess. Like, is, is that the idea that they're they're a more kind of monochronistic type getaway thing? Because uh, you'd think, if yeah, maybe the elixir of life that you're using is not just like they're guarding it; they're using they're it. They're using it because uh, I've forgotten her name again, but she's super duper old. Yeah, and she she was old when she took it, but has been they've all been preserved. Like, I got the impression she's yeah. centuries old. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. not even older. Yeah, you no, know, you're right. So maybe it is, maybe it is sort of like a a convent for them. Maybe they're there just contemplating. I don't know. I'm struggling to buy it. When when they're part of a more universal picture, as in the Time Lords are popping up and there is like an elixir of life. I don't know. It just it just seems like there should be a bit more going on with them. So I think they've made more of the Sister of Khan in New Who, mm. where they seem a little bit more entangled or a bit more embroiled in the goings-on between different planets, different worlds. Like, yeah, the Doctor okay. has to seek counsel from the uh, the Sisterhood every now and then, like, and, and they know what's going on. When, yeah. when McGann crashes on Khan, they know exactly who he is and what he needs and everything. Like, they're tied into politics and everything. Whereas is- here... It seems like a self... It's not even a self-fulfilling prophecy. It is a prophecy that exists only to worship itself. Like, they they have this elixir of life in order to have more time being alive in order to guard this elixir of life. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> there's, no, there's no point. And produce more of it. It just it just seems like they're squandering something. Yeah. Like, if, if you're guarding something, you're either, they're either keeping it away from the rest of the universe for good reason, because... They think what the doctor thinks that actually everyone having immortality is a dangerous thing. Yeah, but they don't think that because doctor has an argument with them about it. So you know that, and they're quite happy to give it to the time lords. Well, are know. they happy to give it to the time? Lords? Well, reluctant. I feel like they're not. I, I mean, the, the time lords are good to them in order to get this elixir. But what is what are the time lords doing for them? What did they get from this exchange? I don't know. I can't remember if there's something said, but I got the implication that it was kind of leaving them alone. Oh, so maybe, oh, really? maybe the Time Lords are the only people that have kind of discovered it. But then, how does Solon fit into that? Just some random human rocks up and goes, oh, oh hello, you people with the elixir of life. I'm yeah. just, just going to go over here for a while. Is that okay? Oh, and by the way, oh, so... Totes, he, totes Malone. <laughs> he, so he goes, he tells them at one point, like, hey, I've never asked you for anything. Uh, but in, and in fact, quite the opposite. I've helped you lots of times. Like, you guys were injured. I, I helped patch you up. Why was that necessary? They have the elixir of life. Like, they don't need a doctor to come and heal them. They just drink out of this magic cup and they yeah. live it forever. Because I, I, you could argue against that if it hadn't been used to heal Sarah Jane. Exactly. Because preserving life is not the same Wait, as. Wait, do they healing. heal Sarah Jane? Is it actually used that way in the end? I forget. I, no, they no, heal she'd... the doctor. Because the Sarah Jane doesn't even need it, it turns out. Solon was just um, screwing with the Doctor. Yeah, but the Doctor goes... He goes to them on the pretense that this will heal Sarah Jane. Like, he knows the Elixir can heal. Yeah, but he never gets it. Like, no, I mean, he doesn't get it in the end. But Yeah. Instead, they use... They only have enough Elixir to, for one person, and they give it to the Doctor. Yeah. But I, either way, like, yeah. it has healing properties. Yeah. We exactly. see it to have healing properties. The Doctor already believed it to have Yeah, and it doesn't properties. force a regeneration. It literally just reassembles him. It just heals him. So if at some point one of the sisters falls off a rock and she's like, oh, shit, Like now my knee bends the wrong way. (laughs) Is there a doctor in the house? She would never say that. She would go, take me to the bar and then have a shot of this elixir. Problem solved. 
I, th- I thought they were super overacting, by the way. Oh my god, yes. The the hand gesture. Oh my god, is it Morbius? The Morbius. I'm doing the gesture podcast. <laughs> hand. The ridiculous. Um, the sort of eldest sister who Maron was kind of um, grooming to replace her. The one with the uh, flame eyebrows. Actually, maybe they all. Have I think they all eyebrows. had. Yeah, <laughs> something like that. I think she's Oheka or something. Okay, is what I've written down anyway. She was totally over the top dramatic throughout the entire thing <laughs> yeah she was <laughs> and her eyes she just opened her eyelids fully like every other word i think it's like her eyelids had eyelids <laughs> <laughs> and i can't help but think there were a lot of fluffs as well in dialogue like i don't oh, really i don't notice it very often um and i didn't write down all, all the things which is a little bit annoying because that could really make it sound like it was true. But <laughs> <laughs> I feel like there were, there were a couple of points where lines were delivered over the top of someone else's lines and it wasn't intentional. Oh, really? And there were a couple of times where someone stuttered or kind of paused on a word because they struggled to remember the next one. Oh, interesting. I didn't, I didn't Which, catch that. But... I know, there are definitely a few things where I kind of felt like maybe there was a bit of rushing going on during the recording of this. No no time for a take two. I don't know, yeah. <laughs> it had that kind of sense about it. So apparently they were struggling a little bit with the budget. And th- this is a... You probably saw this in the trivia as well. So this is not the original script that was penned for this serial. And this version of the script is was torn down in many places in order to conserve on budget. Uh-huh. And maybe time... I mean, time is money. Maybe time therefore was a factor yeah definitely. You, know, you only have so much time in the studio or you only have so much real like so much tape uh, i don't know there is a wonderful bit of trivia about the script did you read this about no i didn't actually so this was penned by robin bland <laughs> i did i saw that name prop at the start and i was like oh it's gonna uh, be a bland one eh uh, he's begging for it <laughs> Well, he kind of was. Robin Bland was a... I'm reading this directly from TARDIS Wiki. Uh, Robin Bland was a pseudonym given to Terence Dix, legendary writer, Uh for the Doctor Who story The Brain of Morbius. He was dissatisfied with the rewrites to this script by script editor Robert Holmes and requested that his name be withdrawn from the credits and that the story be broadcast under, quote, some bland pseudonym. (laughs) (laughs) And Robert Holmes arranged that the story went out as being written by Robin Bland. Is that awesome or what? I can't decide if it's awesome or just a supreme dick move. (laughs) (laughs) A supreme Terence dick move. (laughs) Well, okay. (laughs) Somewhere else in the trivia, it said that Terence Dicks understood. Actually, I think this is from the bonus material on the DVD. In the end, he went, no, no, I get it. This is why you rewrote it. My version was too expensive. It was too extravagant. Right, okay. Among other things, Solon was meant to be a robot. Solon was meant to be a robot. Yeah. Because there weren't enough things going on in there. <laughs> to save money, they just got an actor in. Oh, and speaking of actor, also, I didn't... Oh, damn it, I didn't copy this. But uh, Peter Cushing was among the actors considered for Solon. Oh, my God. I would have loved... Like, obviously loved it because it's Peter Cushing. But Solon is probably the worst actor in this. Oh, really? I loved him. Really? I mean, I want... I, I, I want his hair configuration. <laughs> <laughs> I had severe moustache and beard envy when I saw that man. <laughs> I just had severe issues with his delivery. Oh, <laughs> I loved it. There were just so so many times where it just felt like someone was shouting, you know, off camera to him, say this line. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I did, I did like one piece of his acting though. Oh, really? What was that? Which I, I made a note of in episode three. I can't remember the exact um, start to it, but it's when he's talking about how he can use the doctor's head to get Morbius back. Yeah. And it's like the crowning irony. And Morbius is just like, fooled, <laughs> referring to using another Time Lord. And so I was like, sorry, the pun was irresistible, <laughs> referring to his stupid crowning joke. <laughs> it's just <laughs> totally blindsided me. as like, wait, this really dry overacting bad acting guy just delivered just, a really weird <laughs> pun okay <laughs> that's great i missed that line oh th- see this serial has fantastic elements of humor in it yeah i d- he then all went on to possibly say that the female brain was too small yes to, i mean no, no, no. the female's brain the so, female's brain is females, too small yeah. so, <laughs> which is I mean, I'm assuming he's trying to say the cranium is basically too small to house your gigantic brain, Morbius. But Morbius's brain is bigger than all of Tom Baker's head. <laughs> How was he expecting to fit that into anything? Yeah, it, it really needed to go into the see-through golf ball with comedy. Where it's just Tom completely, Morris. it's just flopping in there. It seems like the least <laughs> yeah. practical thing. Also, when they're transporting it, why are they emptying the tank of liquid before I they know. carry it away? <laughs> I kind of assumed, like, the glass golf ball, well, the um, goldfish bowl would have the liquid in it as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it seems like it's doing Morbius a lot of good to have his brain in that liquid. Yeah. <laughs> and maybe it would have um, not fallen on the floor quite so easily. <laughs> Five second rule, five second rule. <laughs> Very nearly had to make it the ten second rule. I really like the the way that Solon goes, listen, I know that you're right now only thinking of the practicality. You want to be free. You want to be corporeal. But when you are corporeal, you want to have a really beautiful face. Like you want to, you want to look like a person. So I'm just going to take your brain and stitch it into this fucking gigantic, monstrous, one-clawed beast with the hand of an imbecile. Because, <laughs> like I said earlier on, I don't know Frankenstein that well. But if you've got a complete body... Yes! Uh, 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 yeah, put it... Just take out the doctor's brain. Quick little... Put the other guy's brain in it. Yeah, trapdoor head, <laughs> scoop out brain... <laughs> Pop in new brain. <laughs> Put the trapdoor down again. <laughs> Surely that's got to be better than cut head off. <laughs> Somehow preserve head. Yeah, you don't. You don't need to be a brain surgeon to understand this. <laughs> yeah, there there are a lot of holes in this plot. <laughs> I, th- I think my rating is going to have to drop down. I did write a number down. Oh yeah, so did I. Um, I think I might have to adjust it. <laughs> Okay, while we're on the topic of things that really don't make sense or are a little bit too convenient, in part four, why are there coincidentally exactly the three components of cyanide next to a bedpan and no other components of anything, no other <laughs> chemicals? It's just like these three <laughs> next to each other. I don't know. And why is the doctor quite happy just releasing cyanide into the air to kill Solon? Yeah, and what is he trying to gain from this? He's like, oh, well, if we're still here in a month then it failed. But it's not like it's going to kill Solon, kill Morbius, and then unlock the the door. door, (laughs) They're going to be stuck there, and no one's going to come get them. Yeah. (laughs) I'm I'm a little fuzzy at this point. The only way they escape is because Morbius comes in. Yeah, I think so. In a rage. I I guess the idea might have been that the Sisterhood of Khan would have come get them. 
I don't know. They're not but why that would reliable. they? <laughs> yeah, no, that's true. Like, why would they? <laughs> yeah. Especially if he kills Morbius in there, then they might just go, yeah, let them, let them rot in there. Let's see who eats whom first. <laughs> yeah. And also, in terms of convenience for the plot, how often does the Doctor leave his Sonic behind? Oh, I'm so glad that he did. But Are you not? I'm so glad that he did. It, I feel like it's established that you can use the Sonic to open doors. Yeah. You work with that. You don't just randomly go, oh, the Doctor left it home today. Yeah, but if he had done that, then we would have been complaining that, oh, see, Sonic saves the day again. Well, Isn't it a good thing that he? But it's not saves it? a day. It's, it's one little situation where they're locked up. Would you rather he had the Sonic, but it didn't work for some reason? If it's maybe that's a th- plausible reason. Okay. See, I, okay, I would take that, but I don't want to say that I'm sick and tired of the Sonic, but I am sick and tired of the Sonic always getting them out of the out of a jam, like any kind of jam. Yeah. I'm glad that he didn't have it this time. Also, the sisterhood took his TARDIS. He maybe didn't expect... Maybe he figured, I'll just pop back into the TARDIS and, and grab my Sonic. They had been away from the TARDIS for a long time, and they just walked away from it. Yeah. He, did, he, didn't, okay he never it. got taken away from his TARDIS. I'm yeah. okay with it. <laughs> but I'm, I'm, I respect your, <laughs> your differing I opinion. I don't mind if it is occasionally a thing, mm-hmm. but I can't think of it occurring before this seems like someone just someone pointed out they're in a locked room he's just going to use the sonic to get out of it mate yeah sarah jane even pointed it out this one and lead lead writer went ah fuck you intern (laughs) he didn't bring his sonic today (laughs) i'm not rewriting this scene go get me a coffee well i wouldn't be surprised if a lot of people thought that the sonic always opens doors for them only one serial ago they were using the sonic or he was using the sonic to um, open that hatch in the floor yeah so like he uses the sonic a lot in most episodes he does i quite it's a nice thing that, it's a nice detail that sarah jane goes yeah, a locked door means nothing you have a sonic screwdriver yeah it's like, yeah well, i didn't bring it i guess i'm fucking useless without one <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I do get your point. I do get your point that it's overused. But, so, but I'm, I'm... Yeah. You know. You can't satisfy everyone. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All of the time. <laughs> so Sarah Jane, then. Yeah. Oh. I thought oh. she was okay in this. Oh. I think there were some, some weird things when she was blind. Okay. And she was made blind, obviously. Yeah. Which is not a great state to be in. Nope. When you went to be the companion of a doctor. But she rescues the doctor. Once. She's playing the kind of following, um, seeing what's going on. Not as much as she has done in the past, though. I thought she was more of a damsel in distress in this one. I mean, when she when she goes blind, she is in in so many ways helpless, understandably yeah. so. Uh, but I felt like she was just constantly screaming and being chased by a monster. I think you're right that um, she's written quite damselly in places. I'm trying to think right at the start, because I quite liked the, the very start of this. The Doctor's all pissed off and sulking because he thinks the Time Lords have yeah. brought them off course and he's not doing anything until he kind of works out what's going on. And Sarah Jane's just immediately, well, like, no, let's do stuff. We're on an alien planet. Yeah. Let's go explore. I agree. That is that is. But excellent. then she screams off camera. The Doctor chases after it. And it's, did she just fall down a little step or something? I can't remember what happened. Towards the end, she falls down some stairs. Yeah. When she comes to, by the way, and she's like, oh, I had a terrible dream. I oh, no, dreamt no, no. the past three episodes. Right at the start. Which she's literally just gone off exploring on her own because the doctor won't do anything. I don't remember her falling. Maybe she I does. Don't know. She, she screams off camera. Oh, no. Oh, maybe she's found, she's found the body at that yeah, point. Yeah, she finds the headless That's mask. It. Yeah. I think I just remember seeing her sat 
halfway down a little oh, yeah, yeah. craggy step and thought, oh no, she's twisted her ankle again. Oh no. But that, that wasn't what happened. That was just me in my head. Yes, but that, I mean, that's a bit damsel just screaming and the doctor comes running as well. Yeah, one of the cliffhangers is the, yeah, so in, is it part three? The cliffhanger is the monster is behind her. Part four starts with her just screaming yeah. because now, now she can see, like, oh, I can see, I can see, I can see, oh, no. And then she falls down immediately and then she falls yeah. down some stairs and then she's out of it again. And then when she wakes up, she, think, she thinks the whole thing didn't even happen, which is a bit ridiculous. And before that, she's been blind for like an episode and a half. So I don't know. I, maybe there are, because I see what you're saying about the beginning. She exhibits even more passion for the serial than the doctor himself does, which is impressive. Yeah. And also, she's the only one who doesn't fall for the poisoned wine trick. Yes, that was the other that was the other thing, which is also very clever. Yeah. Actually, you want to take it back. Maybe maybe she does exhibit. I, don't know, I, a bit I feel more. like they were trying to, but then they still, I don't know. I was going to say they forget <laughs> that they they don't have to be progressive all the time. But no, they just like in the in the confines of 1976, I feel like they were still they still look as at her as primarily a woman and a damsel, but she and was occasionally write her with good things, and I think she got a couple of good things in this. Okay, but I feel like she's had more good things recently. Do you think the reason there's a dip in said good things in this one because they're trying to abide by the rules of this sort of hammer horror thing? Another stereotype of this story is that there is a damsel in distress, quite possibly, whom the monster falls in love with. Yeah, and here we have not the monster, we have Kondo, who's like, oh, pretty, pretty, uh, not okay. <laughs> He's like petting her face. And yeah, yeah, but and eventually gets killed, saving her. You know, yeah, the, almost King Kong esque. Yes, yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, I did note the same because it was um, the spider one. I forgot the title of it. Where we had oh yeah, dumb Tom who ends up being Planet of the Spiders, being turned into a genius, genius. But yes. Oh, I forgot about that guy. I'm sure he had Tom, a... Tom. <laughs> was that his name? No. <laughs> Although he might be referred to it as that. Um, I'm pretty sure he was kind of sweet on Sarah Jane as well. It wasn't in a sexualized way, but oh, it, in, yeah. the, in that she was nice to him. And I think You're he, right. he took a shine to her because of that. And she's like, yeah. Wait, was that Sarah Jane? I think so. It, yes, it probably it must have been Sarah Jane. Oh, wow. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've been on one without Sarah Jane. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. <laughs> it is Sarah Jane. Yeah, exactly. Because she's like, oh, here, have this bejeweled brooch that my great-grandmother yeah. <laughs> gave me. It's like, oh, cool. I'll take that. Thanks. Put it in my shoebox. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so a, a mixed bag with Sarah Jane, I guess. Okay. Yeah, Kondo. Wow. <laughs> so Kondo was a spacefarer, right, who also crashed on this planet. I'm not sure how. <laughs> Do you think he suffered some sort of brain damage? I because I, he's, I mean he's written to be a person who know who would not be able to pilot his own spaceship. No, I, I don't know if it's clear how big the spaceships would be. Like, uh, like should there be thousands of of, of these bodies, bodies littered around? And like, were, he, he was just he was on a spaceship. He wasn't piloting a spaceship. Like because there were. But why was he on a spaceship? On I mean, like he knows nothing about it. Well, anything. if you're a spacefaring race, like. It would just be a form of transport, potentially. Yeah. Like, and everyone and anyone would go on a spaceship. Could it be that uh, Solon, being an expert in brains, has lobotomized what's his face, Kondo, taken his arm and lobotomized him at the same time? It's possible. I don't recall anything that would have 
implied that? Do you? No, I suppose I don't. I'm trying to retcon this. I mean, it's either it's either that or he suffered head trauma on his way down. Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I feel like they just really wanted an Igor. Yeah. <laughs> <And> they, <laughs> they got couldn't, him. <laughs> couldn't quite work out how to make it sit properly. But. Or else. Oh, no. Scrolling through my notes, uh, I made a note about, I mean, we talked about Frankenstein before, not Frankenstein, Solon. Solon is played by Philip Mad Doc. <laughs> Mad Doc. <laughs> well, Maddock, but still. <laughs> yeah, nice. Like, oh, hmm, chuckle. I, I did actually briefly look him up i haven't got his full thing memorized but he's been a lot of stuff he's been in the avengers i am and Not da- surprised. dad's army and you know i think he was probably in quite a few things around that era okay so in the last one we had the doctor tied to a pole about to be blowed up blowed up yeah and this one we have him tied to two separate poles about to be burnt yeah it's probably the same pole. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. I found pictures in that village in the last one. In the oh, I don't, I don't mean in the village. I mean like... <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah. <laughs> I was being pedantic. I apologize. I apologize. <laughs> I apologize. The, 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 the one from Android Invasion, though, I want to go there and just have my picture taken yeah. tied to that pole. It's really not far from here. No, I know. <laughs> Do you want to go? Yeah. Let's go. <laughs> Shot appearing on whobackwhen.com soon. That sounds good to me. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I quite like that element in this one of, the, you know, a reverse witch burning. The witches here are burning a man of science and reason. Ooh. It's quite cool, I think. I didn't pick up on that. Yeah, very clever. Although the witches that were burnt at the stake were probably women of science. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> okay, witches-ish burning a man professing to be a man of reason yes yes yeah <laughs> so that whole thing actually uh-huh. i found odd again adding into the i don't understand the sisterhood <laughs> of khan <laughs> in the slightest the doctor's being quite a jerk to them and basically saying oh that flame you know it's it's science like it's I, I kind of liked how he dealt with it because he was just explaining stuff in what sounded to me at least as actually totally plausible science. Yeah. Like it didn't, it was nothing hang wavy, ne- never wibbly wobbly. It was just, you know what, there's going to be gases coming up from the molten core and it's... Like you lit. you happen to be sitting on a bunch of minerals that have yeah. these properties. You've got like yeah. a geothermal port, basically. Yeah. And I'm not quite sure how that makes the elixir of life, but at least the flame aspect always burning. Yeah. That seemed okay. Exactly. Uh, and he's like... Well, you know, you realize that shouldn't have stopped. Like, something's made it stop. And he's calling them stupid, really. Um, I don't know, just just I, the whole interaction between him and them and their their culture didn't I mean, seem very respectful. No, it's an interesting episode and topic to follow the last New Who that we did. I did, I did think that as well, yeah. G- given the... Like, I mean, in Matt Smith's Rings of Colton, no longer playing that drinking game. <laughs> no, you don't have to. <laughs> After last week's six-day week. Um, the, um, yeah, where he, I mean, you and I both felt that he exhibited a certain respect. Of, yeah, multiculturalism. People have different beliefs. In this one, he does he, does he not? Does he, does he not? I feel like he doesn't, but I don't know. It's a, it's a weird setup because I don't, feel like he should do in a way because of what because he's because a, this is a group of individuals that interact frequently 
with time lords, a very advanced this, um, a very advanced civilization. Yeah, like with, this isn't your Star Trek um, Prime Directive situation where they're disturbing a culture that's going to evolve. Like it's True. it's already been spoiled. It's already part of the galactic universe, even if they don't seem to pay pay much attention. These to are it. like the mystic Bajorans in DS Nine. Uh, I'm a little rusty on that reference. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. I think that makes sense. I, I'll look it up later yeah. on. I, I might s- cut that. <laughs> Star Trek does do a lot of that stuff. I, sure. With Vulcans, I think they do it quite a bit. Oh, yeah. Wait, that's a much better reference. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that, that I think it's always an interesting line for sci-fi to try and broach religious spiritual aspects when it is a science fiction show and it wants to be like, I, th- I think that's always said as the premise, wasn't it? It was, like, educational, and it was te- yeah. teaching scientific things, even. Yeah, definitely. Um, it kind of stopped at, at a certain point. Yeah. I don't feel like I learned lots about science and whatnot. What? Are you, are you saying you don't know how to make your own brundlefly right now? Not really, no. <laughs> I don't know where I was going with this, really. Do you have well, any other thoughts to well, throw in on the same line? Okay, so a- another thought. Same doctor... Sisterhood of Khan dynamic, starting with the with the flame, they don't understand uh, why the flame's being disrupted, why it's abating. He explains it to them; they don't believe it. He demonstrates to them that oh, there was just some soot in there. He throws a little firecracker in, yeah, and he fixes the problem. He resolves this issue for them. They still don't understand. No. Which seems odd. If they think that there is something spiritual, something paranormal going on here, then wouldn't the reaction be along the lines of, oh, wait, he is in tune with the cosmos, with the whatever of Khan. Like, he he managed to bring the flame back. This is like a miracle. Yeah. He should be their new leader. Yeah. Or some other spiritual, some guru of sorts. Instead of just going, wait. Uh, we don't understand what happened. I mean, he gives them a firecracker and they don't know what to do with it. Even though that's kind of a fun bit of it. <laughs> yeah. But th- then also, I mean, they are capable of actual paranormal stuff. Through meditation, they teleport the TARDIS. And the Doctor. Uh, and the Doctor. And his reaction to that is, oh, you're still practicing teleportation. How quaint. <laughs> yes. Which is very odd. Right? Yeah, but it's... I don't understand them. I really don't. These people, the Sisterhood of Khan has proven that whatever they believe in, it freaking works. I mean, they live forever and they can teleport shit. Like, what else do you need? (laughs) At this point, I'm willing to believe in them more than in any other religion ever. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yes. If I could just chant sacred fire, sacred flame and teleport shit. Yeah. I'm on board. I'll do that. I'm on board. I want to be a sister now, please. (laughs) But but he still, he looks at it, he addresses it. It's it's sort of derogatory the way that he goes, oh, how quaint. Yeah. This is an totally. old-fashioned primitive thing that you're doing. I guess, it's, do you think he's looking at them? Because as you were describing things, I was kind of settling things in my mind again. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I think I put a pin really on what bothered me, is that it feels like the Time Lords are exploiting them. Because of, yeah, because of their lack of understanding of everything, like they. Oh, I see what you're if, saying. If there wasn't their actual powers that do manifest, and they definitely have powers, yeah, they could be this group of women that are guarding a rock, and they believe it to be sacred, but it's still a rock. If you see what I mean, like, yeah, yeah. The fact that it's powerful 
doesn't seem to matter because they don't understand it. They don't know what they've got. They 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 know that it's it gives them eternal life, but they as soon as the flame goes, they have no way of fixing the situation. Like they they don't like you said, they don't even understand what a firecracker is and you know what it will do. So okay, so that element, as I said, that, that's definitely been rewritten or reworked in New Who. I mean, they are no longer primitives. They're more like a Richelieu kind of character that's almost pulling strings without people noticing. Yeah. But in in this one, okay, here's another question for you. The Doctor makes it pretty clear that this is just a chemical process, and you could synthesize this. He says it like you yeah, could, you yeah, could just bottle actually. this. So why don't the Time Lords do that? Why do they still need the Sisterhood of Khan? Wouldn't they just show up, go, can I have a bottle of this? Boom. Thanks. Bye-bye. And then reverse engineer it. Yeah. Don't know. Because the writer didn't think of it. Yeah. Hmm. Unless, I don't know, unless there is something about them that the Time Lords make use of as well. Because they do have to, seem to have this kind of prophetic nature as well. The I've forgotten her name already. Uh, Othica or whatever. Seems to come back to the matron at various points and say she's seen things like like she's referring to a vision not not oh. as in not as I, I took it as not she's just gone and stood on a cliff and seen them like oh, really? from a distance oh i missed that okay that, that was the impression i got anyway but i don't know if that was me no no put, you may put, very putting, well be right i, I think i just missed them. this because i think there's also a point where the doctor is saying that morbius has been here all this time but he somehow hid himself from their vision and he's not, he's not talking about their sight, because yes, obviously right. he's a brain in a jar, is that they, they should have been able to detect his presence, and the Doctor's kind of mocking them that they didn't. Like, that there has been a Time Lord for however long it's been under their noses, and they didn't know, but they should have done. And he also says that he sort of intuited the presence of Morbius while, when, they were, when he was in the castle. Yes, he does. Like, I, felt, I felt a presence. Yeah, it was presence I've not felt since... Turn around, dramatic music, walk away. <laughs> Just wondering if I've had Star Wars references in every single episode yet. <laughs> there is a mention of parsecs in this one. Ooh. Yeah. Well, th- that is an actual unit of measurement. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Okay. I, well, okay, yeah. We're fine. <laughs> <laughs> Quick thing back to actors. Okay, yeah. And to a new thing we haven't talked about, but we alluded to in our intro. Okay. So the the mental tug of war. Yes, 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 yes. So. Oh, did you read the trivia about this? It is brilliant. I have read some trivia about this. But first, I just wanted to say what I thought was going on. Oh, I bet you it's the same thing I thought. Because I thought we were seeing a couple of the Doctors. And, and a couple Morbius. Morbius. Exactly, yes. Which makes perfect sense. Yeah. M- Miriam and I were watching that episode moments before you showed up. Yeah. <laughs> and that was exactly the theory. So I don't quite get why it was intentionally written that these, they were pre-Hartnell Doctors. Yeah, and they've already made it pretty clear that there was no one before Hartnell. In the three Doctors, they say, this, this is my first incarnation. Really? Yeah. Uh, or that was his first incarnation. I can't remember, but it is definitely said. Like, they are one, two, and three. And... Yeah, we've never had any other allusions to him being older, but I saw, I didn't do much research into this, but I saw that this has then spawned a bunch of other theories which have led into novels and audiobooks and possibly some comics as well about another character called The Other. The Other, yeah. Right, who's, 
possibly a prior incarnation of the Doctor who was then reincarnated into Hartnell and then spawned the Doctor. The, the Literally what I've, I've got on Wikipedia here is saying the other is one of the founders of Time Lord Civilization. Right, alongside... Uh, of whom the Doctor is a reincarnation. Oh, but right. reincarnation. So not regeneration, reincarnation. Yeah. So it's implying like there's... I don't, I don't know what it's implying. Some other cycle of life within Time Lords. But that's, that's all sideline stuff. That's not in the TV show, so I'm, yeah. I'm not that interested in that. Unless at some point they actually bring that into the history and then do like a... Oh, wait, hang on. If at any point they run out of material, this <laughs> is the way to do it, right? They're like, oh, we, we don't want to do yet another regeneration. Wait, the big mystery isn't that he regenerates or she regenerates again. The mystery is they had regenerated multiple times before we even met them. And yeah. Then, yeah. They might do. They could do. I, I might be on board with something along those lines, but... Yeah, it would probably feel a bit spin-off, I guess, yeah. rather than... But hey, hey. So yeah. the, the, the reason I segued into this... Yeah, sorry. ...was actually because the people we see in the flashes, so the, the pre-Hartnell Doctors, are all crew members. Yeah, production crew members. It's awesome. So we've got... Uh, we've actually got Robert Holmes and Peter Hinchcliffe, big names, nice. and, and a couple of other like script editors and production assistants who we were we probably wouldn't well, i don't, certainly don't recognize the names of really i probably wouldn't either and then what i found really interesting as well is they tried to get famous people they wanted to flash up some famous actors in, really? in this what yeah <laughs> and apparently no one came forward to do it so they had to just put up some they referred to them as backroom boys and then they got into a bit of trouble Wait, backroom boys <laughs> but <laughs> Just leave you with your moment. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> After they'd been in the back room with the boys, uh-huh. they got into trouble because I think they're they're not meant to be uh, they're not meant to appear on screen because they're not part of I'm guessing the Actors Guild. Oh, but oh, really? But I'm not quite sure what the real problem was. I haven't looked up, but they had to pay a certain amount of money to the Actors Union Equity Benefit Fund. Oh, interesting. I'm guessing because like none of these people were part of the Actors Guild, and so they shouldn't have really appeared on screen. It's a bit sucky that like they're, they're just doing it as a bit of fun. They're not. Yeah, it's like hey, and you're working get... on this show, do it. Just... Yeah, and they wanted to get some famous people in there, but they they couldn't. But does that mean that they what they really should have done is grabbed some kind of standby actor from nowhere, paid them fifty bob, and just literally taken their photo and put them in? Uh, I don't also, know. they are photos. That's not footage. Exactly. What's the problem, man? Uh, I don't know. It seems a bit bit mean. Someone complains and they uh, they have to throw some money at the guild. Yeah. I'm pleased that you had the same theory we did. Yeah. I, I was gobsmacked to read that there was another... <laughs> well, an intentional interpretation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Very strange. And how many are there? I mean, I don't remember where they... Or at which point they say this, but that he would basically run out of lives according to... Gallifreyan law very very soon like this this time around maybe Tom Baker might be the last one so I think so we're in, are we in season 13 yes yeah so it's actually next season apparently a serial called the deadly assassin is going to, to bring in the idea that there are 12 regenerations right okay so that's the whole thing that became a controversy at Matt Smith's end oh yeah of course but up until this point apparently we've not had it there hasn't been a set limit. Oh, that's true. So they, I mean, they obviously could have played with it, but but your reference to the the, the three doctors 
that kind of blows out. Oh, no, they they a hundred percent say that. Hartnell is the first. Which now I'm saying a hundred percent. Now I'm doubting myself. But <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm believing you. I just... I'm I'm pretty sure that even Hartnell, like at some point, maybe not Hartnell, uh, Trousen presumably, because when Hartnell was the doctor, it was just like this is the doctor. But when when there had been a regeneration, I'm pretty sure they already clarified. Oh, my first appearance was as a slightly older gentleman. That sort of thing. Yeah. Hmm. Odd. That's how I'm leaving it. All right. Odd choice. Fair. Maybe just a note on production value. I thought the castle was pretty amazing, and the lab was fun. Yeah. The production value in general, particularly for an episode or a serial that's meant to be relatively low budget, it's really well done. The outdoor scenes are great as well. In particular, there's one scene where it is revealed that it is maybe not super well done, that it, that I loved the most. And it was uh, right before Sarah Jane is taken by Kondo uh, in the scene where he grabs her by the hair and is like, oh, you're pretty. Oh, you don't like me. Kondo, Kondo have hook for arm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, there's a pan to the side and you see the sky, the, like the beautiful blue sky behind them. And it's a sheet. Like there's a oh, crease. Yeah. There's a crease in the sky. And that in itself made me go like, oh, yeah, they have crafted this whole thing. I mean, obviously they have, because it's not outdoors, it's not on a mountain, it's on a soundstage. Yeah. And I love it. I love all the plants, I love the little mountains, I love the castle. The castle's beautiful. It's, why is there a castle? Why is it full of cobwebs? Great. Does no one want to sterilize this <laughs> lab, by the way? No, it's perfect. I don't know, the lab actually I thought looked suitably, not quite futuristic, but... More, oh, yeah. fu- more futuristic than a castle's lab would have done. For, yeah, sorry, for, you're for right. Like a Frankenstein. You're right. But in the room where they have, where he's left the creature, the headless creature. Oh, yeah, that. Cobweb, yeah. wall to wall cobweb. It's just, yeah, not the ideal circumstance. Yeah. It's like a stern reminder of the hazardous, like the risks of going in for a timeshare in that English tourist heavy part of Spain that isn't Costa del Sol. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, it's. <laughs> It's just dawned on me. I think Solon might say he doesn't want to perform the operation down in the really clean-looking laboratory oh, area. Really? He has to do it in the cleaner <laughs> room upstairs where the headless body is being kept, which is like it's never, it hasn't manky. been cleaned for about 200 years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> which is where the brain falls on the floor. Yes, on the mm. gross floor. This brain, which is now just mush. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I don't really understand, oh, maybe we've already ranted about this now, but I don't really understand what Solon has to gain from reanimating Morbius. Morbius seems really irrational. He doesn't seem like, like, what is he going to do? Fine, so he's a madman, now he's going to be a madman with a claw. How, what's he going to do? Is he going to stir up shit in the galaxy? No. He's just a, he's, now he's just a patchwork creature on Khan. Yeah, and... He also doesn't seem that into the operation, right? I think one of the first things we hear him saying is like, I would rather die. Like, send me to the abyss <laughs> than put me into a monster. I oh, does he say that? There's something along those lines, I'm sure of it. I mean, he... Uh, have you seen that? Is it the man with two brains, Steve Martin? I haven't. I've always meant to. Oh, but. it's really good. It just rang a few bells with this one. Yeah, okay, yeah, anyway, so it seems like Solon would do better turning himself into Morbius Mark II. He shares all the ideals of this old despot. 
he is very intelligent, and he is definitely in a better position to bring forth a revolution, if that's if that's the whole shtick, than a brain in a jar. Yeah, I I still don't really know what Solon wants either. Like, I I don't I don't know what anyone wants in this. So Morbius was the only one who really recognized any potential in Solon's surgical experiments. Yeah. Do you think he's reanimating Morbius just so that someone will give him praise? Poss- possibly. <laughs> On that note, do you, want, do you want to rate it? Yeah, let's do that. <laughs> and now it is time to rate this. Did we laugh or hate this? Bing bong, bing bong, hey, la 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 la. Ratings. Well, well, well. That was a serial that happened. <laughs> it was. <laughs> <laughs> The weird thing is that I I finished watching it actually in a fairly positive way. Like, not not super blown away of anything, just like, yeah, that entertained me. Okay. Discussing this with you. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> <I know. laughs> mainly just reading out my own notes, I think, has drastically reduced my interpretation of this. We, we pulled out so many holes in this plot. I don't know how much of the plot is left stringily hanging on around the edges. It's just a hole. <laughs> yeah. Someone wanted to do a Frankenstein episode, unquestionably. They shoehorned in all the aspects of it without a lot of explanation, which makes it, it makes it entertaining to watch, but it doesn't make it entertaining to think about. We then get the sister of, of Khan, who are an interesting set of individuals. There's obviously some questions with the dynamic of the Time Lords and... Lots of intrigue with that. We've then got Morbius himself, brain in a jar, but but a Time Lord. Yeah. Like there's there's a lot of could have been, I think, around this as well. Possibly if they hadn't been shoehorning the Frankenstein in quite so much. Like there could have been some interesting things. Like he's he's a really bad evil Time Lord, and it's it's just thrown away, and he gets turned into a monster, literally turned into a monster, and that's that's the aspect of him we get. We don't get the one that was trying to take over Gallifrey or whatever he was doing, like being uh, maniacal and you would think scheming and plotting and being intelligent about stuff. No, we don't see that. We just see him clawing people to death. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which seems, it seems a letdown. It seems a waste. But I did really like the Doctor in this. I thought he was really fun. He has a couple of little throwaway things in episode four I, I made note of where he's, he's talking to uh, Sarah Jane and it says, you thought I was dead, didn't you? You're always making that mistake. <laughs> Like a little meta joke, probably just, you know, about how often they've, they've done silly little, oh, the Doctor's dead scenes. Sarah Jane's saying that he's, he's too late at one point, like Morbius is alive and the Doctor feels his own head and said, well, I can't be. I still got my head. <laughs> like, they're, they're really nice little moments. They don't always fit in with what the hell else is happening, but they're nice little moments. There's, there's a nice kind of, under thread of humor throughout this whole serial mm. like and fun you know there's some fun you know you, that's what you would get with a hammer horror thing you're gonna get a bit of nonsense and you're gonna get some fun which i guess is why i came away from it feeling entertained but it's not where i set my rating though i can't just be oh. on that pure entertainment value it has to be on the ripping everything to shreds value oh right but it's still it's still just a bit of a mediocre met episode so I'm going to give it a 2.4. Oh, I had written down 1.8 for you. So it's uh, 2.4. All right. I started on a 3.0, by the way. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I've also talked myself down. I started with a 2.8. 
Jo. We've collectively talked both of us down. Yep. The score that I'm giving this is almost... No, it's un, unfair to say it's almost only for Tom Baker, but it is in very large parts for Tom Baker. Tom ba- Baker is absolutely fabulous in this one, dropping one-liners all over the place. Sarah Jane, too much of a damsel in distress for my liking. I love the aesthetic of the, the gothic horror. We've had a few episodes like that. This one, they, they went all out... Uh, and I really don't mind it being a Frankenstein pastiche, albeit an, an incredibly obvious one. What, what I've noted down here is Solon is brilliant and overacting. The sisterhood is ridiculous and overacting. Kondo is dreadful and overacting. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Kondo, what a chump. Production values are low budget, but incredibly effective. Admirably so. However, and I say this, although I loved episodes one and two, I thought they were brilliant. They were comedic in, in, in certain parts. They were dramatic and, and exciting in other parts. They were so ridiculously over the top. When, for example, when they are coming in from the rain and Solon goes from, oh, I will never get anything done. I'm never going to find a head to, oh, I've got two perfectly good heads. Oh, come in, come in. Let me get you some wine. You know? I mean, it's, it's, it's absurd at times. And we get so much cool stuff, so much cool background information about the, the sisterhood of Khan. Not enough. Clearly not enough. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had this conversation we just did. But it's, it's cool in the, re- in the sense that thanks to the later reappearances of the sisterhood of Khan, this episode has, I mean, it nabs a little bit of that later retroactive meaning. But despite saying that, episode three was running on Steam. And among my notes for episode four was, it's run out of plot. Oh. A quarter of the serial was just dialogue-less lumbering of Morbius, monster Morbius. Yeah. Just like smashing stuff and grabbing people. And that's not Doctor Who, and that's it, it clashes with the very well-written and interesting and, and witty bits uh, before that. Uh, so, yeah, I don't need 15 minutes of monster judo. So I'm, I'm, I've, I've talked myself down. It's no longer 2.8. I'm giving this a 2.1. Ooh. Listener minis. Now let's hear from Podcast Land. Max 250, or it would get out of hand. So we've got a handful of listener minis in the jar today. Oh, and the old listener mini jar. Yeah. <laughs> First cookie I'm pulling out is from uh, Mr. Paul Forber. Well, hello there, Paul. Hi there, Paul. Something nasty's got onto this cookie, though, because it's, it's inflated itself. It was a tough one to get out of the jar, so we've had to break it up into little pieces. That's right. Paul, you know the dealio. 250 words or bust. So we're taking a, a chunk from the start and a chunk from the end. So Paul starts with... Dim lighting and in-pseudo storms with wind, rain, and lightning created a spooky atmosphere for a story dealing with witchcraft and paying homage to Frankenstein. Mm-mm. Jumping to the end, Paul says, The brain of Morbius explored gothic horror themes for which this era of Doctor Who is known. Setting the story near the Time Lord's home would further develop the Doctor's race, showing how they get along with their neighbours, punish criminals, and compete with one another for sport. These aspects elevate a familiar tale, making it both more enjoyable and fascinating. Fascinating, eh? Mm. Right, so it sounds to me like uh, Paul really liked this one. It does. Right? Yeah. Oh, Paul, you know what? We want to know more about how you feel about these things. You've given us a very big synopsis of what's going on, which is a great thing you can read on whobackwhen.com. But we tend to trim these ones because they're larger than what we want, and we want to know your opinions. So... 
If you can do that for us, Paul, next time we might read it out in full. Give us your opinions. In 250 words or less. Yes, 250 <laughs> words or less. <laughs> Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, people who are not Paul, you can follow Paul on Twitter. Did you know this, Jim? Oh, I did not. Where can I follow him? You can follow him at WordsmithPaul. Oh, wait, I did know that because I listened to this podcast. <laughs> Thanks again, Paul. All right, next up we have Chris Dabbs Paddock. Hello, Chris Dabbs. Hello, Chris Dabbs. Chris Dabbs starts, hello, podcasters. This serial is fantastic. Wow. Intro. Hmm. The gothic horror aspect here is just amazing. Unlike you, I will not be running through this to poke little holes in the story, but this is just so much fun. Literally, this is a hot mess of weird 1970s <laughs> tropes about mad scientists and witch cults, and I will eat this particular hot mess with a spoon and fork. Thank you. You're welcome. Uh, additionally, says Chris Dabbs, maybe it's me, but Tom Baker's face does phenomenally well in shadowy lighting. He's all angles and protuberances and looks very ominous if you light him correctly. That's a nice observation. I like yeah. That. yeah. I'm not quite sure how Tom would take that. <laughs> Probably positively. <laughs> Probably. Lastly, says Chris Tapps, the Time Lord aspect here is great. After this story, the Time Lords are pulled into a very senatorial, deliberative, rule-bound role. But up until now, they have been rife with dangerous renegades. Mm. The Doctor, the meddling monk... The War Chief, the Master, and now Morbius. I wish they'd developed this version of the Time Lords more. That's a fantastic point. Uh, and Chris Dubs gives this 4.7. Holy moly. Oh, wow. Chris Dubs, you have a huge heart. And a huge heart on for this episode. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm glad you didn't pick it apart and just enjoyed it. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you very much, Chris Dubs. Next up, we have Michael Ridgway. Ridgway. Hello, Michael. Hello there, Michael. Love you, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Michael starts. Oh, Michael has some mini reactions. Oh, mini within a mini. Mm, episode one. Do the Time Lords have a section 31 that uses and abuses the Doctor for their dirty work? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, was that a rhetorical question? I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait, that is from Star Trek Discovery, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, it would fit nicely with the next point, which is the sisterhood of... Khan! <laughs> Episode two. Funniest bit. Sacrifice my servant instead. <laughs> oh, we didn't talk about that dynamic uh, yeah. at all. <laughs> That's pretty good. Next, the sisterhood of Khan are total fucking idiots. <laughs> How did you all not notice Sarah blatantly freeing the Doctor and the Doctor escaping from a flaming stake that you were dancing around? Wait, that's... Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I had this as a point we didn't talk about. That was a bit nervous. Next mini reaction. That's right, Doctor. Just leave blinded Sarah with a scary sexually repressed murderer with a metal claw for an arm. Hashtag a duty of care. Yeah. 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 Mm. Okay. Episode three. Soot was blocking the flame of life. The sisterhood of Khan are total fucking idiots. <laughs> Wow, Kondo taking a bullet in the gut was brutal, gory. This is still a kid's show, right? Yeah, that was a si that was like blood squibs and all kinds of just carnage. Carnage, eh? <laughs> carnage. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sisterhood of Carnage. Um tiny sideline from this. Uh -huh. I did actually read a trivia that this is around the era of Mary Whitehouse, who used to complain about everything, and apparently she complained about this. Wait. Elucidate me. Oh, I forget exactly who she is, but she was a MP or or something. Oh, okay. 
and to the point where a group of comedians named themselves the Mary Whitehouse Experience to, <laughs> to mock her in their full splendor. And yeah, she was always going on about, you know, think of the children, all this kind of stuff. And apparently there were quite a few complaints about this episode as being too gory. I think mainly because of that one blood squib. There's that. There's also the claw that like, I mean, at one point, Morbius's claw just chomps down on her sister's throat. Just like a blonk. Yeah. It's pretty wicked. I didn't think it was that bad, really. (laughs) (laughs) Right. uh, Michael goes on. Episode four. If Morbius dies, does he regenerate with a new body or just a new brain? (laughs) If the former, why doesn't he just do that instead of looking utterly ridiculous? Yeah, good question. (laughs) Yeah, okay. Maybe he doesn't need a body to regenerate. I think he does. Reuse the tissue. If they were to transplant his brain into the doctor's body, would he have access to the doctor's regenerations? Ooh, don't know. Mm. Right, next mini reaction. Did the doctor just gas Dr. Solon to death? Yes, wait, we didn't talk about this at all. The doctor just straight up murders a dude. We did briefly talk about it, but yes. Yes, he does. But, but I mean, he deliberately makes poison gas. Yes. Yep. Yeah, we just glazed over this. Sarah Jane afterwards, by the way. Oh, that's a that's a nice science lesson. Now I know how to make cyanide gas. <laughs> so do all the kids watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wanted this to be an educational show. And science education. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Double whammy. Next one. Did Marin just climb into the flame of life? How did she fit? <laughs> <laughs> Why wasn't she screaming in agony as she horribly burnt to death? Yeah, that one was a bit odd. And plus, we see a younger version of her. Yeah, I feel like she's... You know what? Do you remember the... It's in the Spider one, right? Where we have a Time Lord. He's the old Time Lord that was the Doctor's teacher. Yeah. When he sacrifices himself, he like floats away. He just sort of yodas out of there. And then, but at a certain point, he turns into his younger self. Yeah, something like that. Actually, you know what? This is kind of Star Wars-y. So she's been, she's lived for super duper long, just like you do if you're a Jedi and you're one with a force. Yeah. And then you die, and you, but your space ghost can be young and attractive again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Michael has a summary. Whilst entertaining enough, the first three episodes built high expectations of Time Lord lore around Morbius's villainy. That Mr. Grumpy Fishbowl head fails to meet. <laughs> and he gives this a rating of 1.9 out of 5 odds and sods. Bits of lobster and a fishbowl equals a legendary Time Lord war criminal, supposedly. An excellent mini review, Michael. Thank you very much. Thank you, Michael. I'm sure Podcast Land agrees and would like to congratulate Michael on a spiffing mini review. How would they do that? Well, I'm glad you asked. Podcast Land, please head on over to yonder Twitter and find Michael. He can be found at bad underscore movie underscore club. Next up, we have Trenton Blairs. Blairs. Hello, Trenton. Hey there, Trenton. Trenton stars. The brain of Morbius is probably the closest Doctor Who ever got to being a universal or hammer horror film. You got probably the most creative monster to ever come out of the show and even a guy's bloody guts being shot out. That has never happened in a Doctor Who story before or since. Indeed. Though written by Terence Dix, continues Trenton. I think the writing credit should really go to Robert Holmes. Mm. Holmes reworked the script so heavily that Terence Dix didn't want his name on it. He thought Holmes had made the script bland. 
So it's funny that the writer's credits on the episode is, in fact, Robin Bland. Yeah, I have to agree with you, Trenton. Next up, this story is far from Bland, though. Like I said, the Morbius creature is probably the most creative monster to ever appear on the show. It looks like they tried to pick one monster, but they were like, screw it, use them all. It works brilliantly here. The dialogue is steeped in morbid humor. The Doctor... Talking of heads, or their absence, we found a headless body lower down the mountain. His capture by the sisterhood is hilarious too. In full time loon mode, he just fires off funny lines left and right. Yes, most definitely. And Trenda concludes, overall, this story is great for a horror movie night. It's dark, gothic, has great monsters and gore, and it doesn't even involve the likes of Boris Karloff or Peter Cushing, but it nearly did. (laughs) So this serial definitely earns its score of... 4.0 out of 5 brains in jars. Ooh, nice. Wow. I love it. I love it. We have been bouncing up and down the rating scale of this one. I like it. We have. Uh, Trenton, excellent many. Thank you very much. People who are not Trenton, fret not, you can follow Trenton. Trenton can be found at Trenton Bless. That's Bless with two words, Jim. Little bits of brainy sinew. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Bing bong, future Leon here with one more listener mini. This one came in... A little bit late, but uh, I happen to have the microphone and mixer all set up, so making an exception. This one comes from Peter Zunich. Hello, Peter. Peter says, a Doctor Who take on a classic story resulting in nothing less than a classic Doctor Who story. Referenced as inspiration by countless future talent and producers, the acting is over the top, the characters are beautifully crafted, the music sympathetic, the sets pure eye candy, the art direction intriguing, and of course, the story superb. (laughs) I can tell where this is going. The ultimate evil genius, however, is the directing, which sets such a wonderful atmosphere and treats the entire presentation not like a television show, but as a theatrical stage play. We can only nitpick, and just for laughs. These are truly minor points. Does Chandelier Drop really just smash it properly? Or does the sisterhood like to haunt with a respect for antiques? I forgot about that. (laughs) That's great. The Lock on the Sacred Flame. The prop voted most likely to be made two minutes before the scene is shot. The scorch marks on the inside of the door. Those mineral deposits look a lot like spray paint. (laughs) The soot remover. Really? The doctor keeps one tucked behind his ear? Ohika appearing in the flame. What, she climbed in there? What just happened? Old woman burning. (laughs) And the final shot of the last scene, says Peter. Explain and shoot it better or scrap it. Yes, uh, I would agree with that. Well, that's it. The rest is endlessly rewatchable, says Peter. I should know. It lays the groundwork for one of the best Who shorts ever. This story keeps the sacred flame alive. I'll give it a rating of, and yes, it counts as a castle, 4.8. That is a lovely review. (laughs) I absolutely get why people are giving this a a high mark. And I can tell this is going to be a frequently rewatched serial for me as well. Peter, thank you very much. That's it for Listener Miniland. Let's get back to the show. Bing bong. Rizerunian cheese nozzles. So that was the brain of Morbius. It was. Next up, we have a new Who serial, namely... Cold War? Yes, that's the one. Oh, just a good one, as I recall. And after that, we have a classic Who serial... The Seeds of Doom. 
the final of season 13. Yes, and the the other one that I said I would undoubtedly give a, a an incredibly high mark whether or not it deserves it. Okie dokie. It's going to be good. Duly noted. Oh, it's going to be fantastic. This is uh, another six-parter, which we've not had for a while. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so the, the season finales all have six parts now. I think, I think pretty much, yeah. Very cool. When are we recording that, by the way? Are we recording that on the 17th? Yes. Okay, in that case... Podcast land. If you are listening to this on the day that it drops, you have until tomorrow to send us a mini. <laughs> so get writing. Get writing. Exactly. In the meantime, you can say hello to us on Twitter. Jim, you are? I'm at Jimmy the Who. Jimmy the what? Jimmy the Who. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> and I am at Ponken, P-O-N-K-E-N. Leon. That's right. Thank you so much for listening. You have been a lovely audience. You always are. It's so quiet. Aw. <laughs> Until the next time, be rad and excellent to each other. Rock on and cha ciao. See ya. <laughs> Kablamo! Did you enjoy the show? Then please do what the cosmos compels you to and spread the gospel of who back when. Tell your friends. But I've got no friends. No problemo. Tell some strangers. Hey! Like us on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash who back when. All in one word. Are you into Twitter? Awesome. High five us online and we'll high five you right back. You guessed it. We're at who back when. All in one word. Check us out on Instagram for behind the scenes photos and other Whovian goodness. Watch our videos or even listen to our podcast on YouTube. That's whobackwhen.com slash YouTube. Vote us up on Reddit, listen to us on Stitcher and head on over to our website whobackwhen.com where you can submit a review of your own, browse the article archives and peruse our visual index of aliens, monsters and more which increases in Kablamos with every episode. And lastly, give us a rating and review on iTunes. It helps our show get noticed and earns you lots of karma points. That's it. Rock on and be rad and excellent to each other. Catch your earballs in our next Who review or bonus episode. Until then, cha ciao. Who back when?